Hey, everybody, Pierre Quinn here. You're listening to episode 146 of the Leading While Green podcast, where my mission is to help you live, learn, and lead with confidence. On this episode of the podcast, I'm joined by Leah Dean, author of the new book, Assemble the Tribe. And in our conversation today, we talk about how leaders and especially women can leverage the power of assembling their own tribe. Now, before we get into the conversation with Leah, I want to thank you so much for supporting the Leading Wild Green podcast. We've took an extended break and I got so much content that I need to share, so many great interviews that I need to share with you. I also want to encourage you to check out my new resource guide all about what you need to know to shift the culture in your organization. You can get that free guide at prcquin.com slash culture shift. That's prcquin.com slash culture shift. And we'll put those links in the show notes. Okay. My guest on this episode is Leah Dean. Leah is an entrepreneur. She's a tribe formation expert, HR and leadership strategist. She's a writer. She's a conversationalist. She's a confidence and mindset coach. And her vision is to create a more connected world and inspire positive change. Leah's mission is to help others, especially women and girls, unlock the formula for building stronger personal and professional networks, which she calls tribes. Leah left her executive role after 20 years to take a mid-career break And she needed to check some things off her bucket list. And that included writing her book, Assemble the Tribe. And she anticipated she would go back to the corporate world. But as she told more and more people about her work, she knew it was time to use her years of experience in a totally different way. And she could not go back to business as usual. Leah's work aims to help others shift their mindset and navigate their personal and professional relationships differently. I know you're going to enjoy this. Here's our featured conversation with Leah Dean. Excited to be joined on this episode of the Leading Wild Green podcast by Leah Dean. Leah, thanks for being my guest today. Thank you for having me. I am looking forward to our conversation. Now, we have hung out on LinkedIn Live on crucial on courageous conversations. And I thought it was just so fitting to bring you into this space to talk about your, your leadership journey, your experiences, the book you, you wrote, the program you're rolling out, all of the things. But before we jump into that, I kind of ask you, what is it like? What was it like growing up with over 90 pets? Like what's that story? (laughs) Um, So when I was, 18 months, actually, my parents, they decided that they wanted to raise us in a unique way in a unique place. So for your listeners, I am from the island of Bermuda. And so not only I mean, so we already lived on an island, but then my parents decided that they wanted to move us to an even smaller island so that they could raise us kind of together and have a really strong family bond. Bond. So we moved from the main island to this 23-acre island. And um, while we lived there, we just had lots of pets. And I thought it was maybe in the region of about 20 to 24. And I put together a spreadsheet one day, sent it out to my family and said, can you just plug in all the pets that you remember? And as we added them up, there were 93. 93 right. pets. Wow. Okay. So are we, are we running the gamut from exotic all the way to, you know, dogs and cats or was, was there like a narrow bandwidth? Are we talking about 52 <laughs> uh, 
uh, hamsters or gerbils? Like, what was the makeup, the general makeup of all the pets you had? Wow, there was a horse, some goats. We had fish, like freshwater fish, saltwater fish. Mm -hmm. I remember at one point we had a very large box with a hook. I, I don't actually know what they're called um, when they're together, but there were at least 30 parakeets. We had oh. hamsters, chickens, gerbils, turtles, cats, dogs. Um, there's probably more, but in some of the categories, we would have, you know, 10, 15, 20 um, and then in others, maybe one or two. So it was it was a broad variety of animals. Let's put it that way. <laughs> when I think about movies like Doctor Doolittle or even Zookeeper, who, who was the animal whisperer in the family? Like who could really talk to and build a connection with all the pets? Um, I'm going to say my older brother Ralph. So we had this one rooster who, when I was maybe about three or four, seemed to enjoy chasing me around the yard. So I would run, he would chase behind me and then jump and peck me from the behind, you know, from, from behind. Mm -hmm. And he was such, he was so aggressive that sometimes he would run at my mom. She would hit him with a broom. He would flip over and then he would come back again. But my brother, for some reason, he just liked my brother. He could walk up to him, pick him up, put him under his arm. And yeah, that was that was his experience. I never understood why the rooster was so aggressive. But uh, we have this family joke that that's how I learned to run. I used to love to run track when I was in high school. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's that's how I learned to run with this rooster. So he was the rooster whisperer. Okay, so growing up all of these animals with this unique family experience. When you look back on it, how how did growing up that way and telling and retelling those stories in some ways give you an advantage or even just a, a slightly different perspective when it came down to navigating corporate culture? It's a really great question. I think when I reflect on what it was like growing up on this smaller island. There were periods where it was actually an island campground. And there were periods when hundreds of people would descend on the island during the summer. And then there were these moments of isolation. And I was a very social child. And so I was very lonely. You know, I love my family, but I was very lonely and I wanted more connection. And so when I think about that in a leadership context, when the hundreds and hundreds of people would descend on the island. My parents were very, very open to people from all walks of life. And so for me, it was a, a living lesson in diversity, equity, and inclusion, and what it really means to bring people into your space. Mm -hmm. And so that I think, which is one of the core messages in my book, is just this idea of how can we be more open to those around us. I think I got to watch my parents living that out uh, as a child. I think the second thing that really hits me from a leadership perspective, it's figuring out how to mentally and emotionally navigate the isolation. Mm -hmm. I think when you're on your leadership journey, there are moments where you feel that connectivity, where you feel like everything is going well with your team. And then 
you know, your boss changes or your company decides to go through a merger or, you know, something happens that disrupts that balance that you think you just found and yeah. you, you may find yourself in a position where you feel isolated. Figuring out how to navigate that isolation from a leadership perspective, that is something that I think started when I was young and just you know, I, I had different ways of, of working through that as a child, but now as, as a leader, it shows up um, or has shown up in my work in, in meaningful ways over the years. You know, adjusting, shifting conversation about culture are more commonplace in, in our leadership discussions that we, that we have today. There, there's a space here growing up in Bermuda, this island campground env environment, over 90 pets and, having experiences with people from all walks of life. Then what was it like being in New York coming from, from that background and context, that kind of middle space before you embarked on this successful corporate career? What was that New York experience like? I struggled initially. And, but again, having kind of knowing what that isolation feels like, I wasn't completely a fish out of water, but initially I found it difficult to live in a big city. And I used to sit in my apartment sometimes and just think, how can there be millions of people in this city? And I still feel like I haven't found my tribe to some extent. And I had to go out, you know, I had to come up with a very intentional plan on how I was going to either nurture the relationships that I had made or how I was going to find new ones. So I struggled to some extent with what that looked like in the city. And <laughs> early days, I just struggled with the noise and the pollution, but um, you know, over, over a period of months, I, I just adapted. My mom said to me, um, maybe about a year and a half after she dropped me off to college, she said, when we first arrived, you were a fish out of the water. She said six months when I came back, you were a different person. You walked mm -hmm. differently. You talked differently. You had figured out how to navigate the, the changes. And again, I think, that is part of the journey that we all have as leaders. It's as the situations around us change, that leadership landscape just shifts and moves underneath us. Are we going to shift our mindset and take it all in stride or are we going to let it bury us? Yeah, you know, we have to make those adjustments so frequently in our lives and, and there are ways that we really just bootstrap it, grit it out, make it happen. And there's an alternative for for some of us, if not for all of us, as it relates to doing it within the context of of community and not feeling like you have to have to walk alone. As you were referencing before, millions of people are still feeling like you're alone. Was that was that one of the resonant thoughts that you had when you when you first started writing Assemble the Tribe? Did your mind go back to being in New York? Where, where was it when you started first putting pen to paper or hitting the keys on your computer. Well, when I first started writing Assemble the Tribe, I was resistant. Mm. I think I, I shared this story with you before. Mm. I had I, I actually did not intend to write the book. I had just hosted an event for a group of women. I went to sleep at about two or three in the morning and at five o'clock I woke up and I just felt this really, really strong impression 
go write, go, go to your computer. Mm. And I resisted it for about 40 minutes. And then I ended up just going to the computer and the outline for the book, I wrote it in an hour. So I didn't really see it coming, Yeah, but it's been interesting, you know, since we released the book late last year to reflect on the moments in my life where this idea of building tribe has just been percolating beneath the surface of kind of my my conscience. And I can go back and I can see so many moments where it's very clear that that's a value that has just been resident in my life from the time that I was a child. And so one of the stories, which I think I actually tell in the book, it's during a period of time where we were trying to build a network and it was as simple as the ladies will understand this. I needed to find somewhere in New York to get my hair done. Like it was that simple. We were, we were at grassroots. This is just one of the basics that we need to survive. And we went to my girlfriend and I, we went to this very posh um, evening affair and part of the purpose that the university sent us to, you know, help us to network for future career opportunities. Um, but one of the objectives that my girlfriend and I had was let's see if we can find somebody who can help us with this hair journey. Mm-hmm. And I remember seeing two women, very stunning, beautiful hair at the other end of the hall. And my girlfriend said, let's go. We're, we're going to go have this conversation. And so we went and we struck up a conversation And we did find a very good place to get our hair done. But even more importantly, those two women, they invited us into their place of employment. They mentored us. And one of those women is actually still a very good friend today. She's been to Bermuda. She sat on panels. I visited her um, at her home in New York. And she continues to be a very important part of my tribe today. And so... When I think back to that moment, had my girlfriend not been with me, I may have not gone, you know, taken that walk down the hall, but it's a very good reminder of how when we actually step out of our comfort zone and try to create these connections, they can help us um, as we navigate our life and our leadership journey. So that was, that was one of my fond New York memories. Sometimes we get caught up in thinking, if I just get that one awesome person, right? If I just get that one, you know, leading Amazon author like Leah, if I just get that one Fortune 500 company, C-suite executive, if I just, you know, grab that one person, then everything will fall into place and, and I'll be, it'll be like rocket fuel to my personal and professional life. Why is that such a narrow view of, of embarking on a transformation journey? I think it's a narrow view for a couple of reasons. One, if there is, I, I tend to work with, with women specifically. So there aren't very many women in board and executive leadership positions. And so there's just kind of the sheer factor of availability. Um, But two, and and don't get me wrong, I've had some fantastic women mentors who fall into that category over the course of my career, and I feel incredibly blessed. However, as I reflect on maybe, you know, the last five years or so of my journey, 
there is no one person who can help me or support me with everything that I need. And so I've shifted my perspective on what mentorship looks like. Yes, it can be one of those individuals, but it's almost like you need an entire board of people who bring different things to your life at different moments. And so I have a much broader view of mentorship. Mentorship can be up, mentorship can be across to the peers that are doing the same things that you're involved in. And actually we can learn a lot from the generations that are coming behind us. And so I just think about mentorship in the broadest sense. It's what do I want support with? What tribe do I need to build for what purpose? And then where can I find them? And my daughter, who's 13, she mentors me on technology and TikTok. You know, it's it's mentorship. Yeah. So I think if we can redefine it, um, you know, my, my goal with the work that I do is to help more women get to those senior leadership roles so that they can then pay it forward. But in the meantime, I think just redefining what mentorship looks like, there are mentors everywhere. There are some people who may push back and say, well, if you are, if you have all of this experience in the corporate space and, and leadership roles and, and working with teams and, and changing organizational culture, then why write a book about tribes and, <laughs> and relationships? And some people even, you know, you've been on those conversations. Why are we talking about this sort of touchy feely stuff when, and how does that fit to a woman who's trying to stake her claim and make her mark in, in a really a dog eat dog corporate world? Mm. Well, I think the first way I would respond to that is I wrote the book because it was divinely inspired. And, and so I didn't really think that I had a choice, but to write mm. what was given to me, yeah. um, and so that part for me was relatively easy. But when I take a step back and think about it in the context of some of the leadership work that I do, part of the reason why organizations are struggling with diversity, equity, and inclusion it is because there is a struggle between how I value myself or my existing tribe versus how I value others. And so I almost think um, of this idea of tribe at, at its highest level as being more of a mindset. It's mm -hmm. almost the foundation for our ability to lead productive teams that deliver results. If you don't value the other person sitting across the table and value isn't a, isn't always a touchy feely thing. Value could be, I value you so much that I need to have the necessary conversation with you about your performance so that we can work together productively. It's not always a touchy feely thing. And so I, I really see this, um, tribe mindset and this belief that my role as a leader is Yes, to provide guidance and direction, like that's what leadership means. But there's also this little transitive verb that talks about a lead is also to serve as a channel for. So I really like that in the context of leadership, which is actually um, kind of where my business name comes 
from Conduit International, if we can shift our mindset a little bit and say, my role is not necessarily to have all the answers, but rather to be a conduit or a channel for the tribe and the team around me that I've built to achieve greatness, to deliver results. That is a fundamentally different type of leadership and a different leadership mindset. And so I think it connects really well with the message of Assemble the Tribe. No, some people will say, okay, in this, in this highly digital virtual integrated world that we live in, we can do the work of the business. We can get the work done. We can manage the projects. We can roll out deliverables, but the piece about actually connecting with the people that we work with informing and deepening those relationships I hear a lot of people say, or a lot of organizations say, we don't have time or we can't facilitate that virtually the same way we can facilitate managing, managing a project. What's your perspective on, on forming and and deepening uh, relationships with those in your tribe or even just in your workspace? Well, workspace is a tribe. What's your, your perspective on forming and deepening those relationships when they occur primarily in a virtual context? So I have all kinds of thoughts there, but the thing that's coming to my mind first is I remember even before COVID uh, was a challenge for all of us having the same conversation with a group of executives. And there was one executive who said something that has stuck with me for probably about 10 years now. He said, I actually don't think about the differences between virtual and in-person I think about how would I want uh, or how I would interact with the person who was in front of me. And then I need to do the work to replicate that virtually. So he said, if I would stop by your desk and say, hey, let's go grab a cup of coffee, then I need to make an effort to call you up and say, let's grab the cup of coffee on the phone. And so my belief is that we have to, in a virtual sense, try to replicate those moments where we're making, uh, building connections and building relationships and making connections as a priority, because I believe, and I've seen it and tested it, if you can have a healthy team that's connected, that supports each other, then when it's time to kind of ramp up the pressure because some project or initiative came along, they will perform better because you've already done the work to build the relationship with each other. And so I kind of see it as a priority. So that's the first way I would answer it. The other thing that I would say is because I was releasing this book about Assemble the Tribe and we were right in the middle of the pandemic, I thought it was really important for me to experiment with virtual relationships and and just my own experience around the depth and the the support that I felt by creating virtual tribes. And so I experimented with two things. One was very much about my personal tribe. And for your listeners, um, just information, I've recently in the last year and a half started my own business. And so entrepreneurship is a different journey from corporate leadership. And so I said, okay, how am I going to build this tribe to support me from an entrepreneurship perspective? Because everything is new. And so I identified a couple of women in their own, you know, leaders in their own right. And literally, I just have a practice where once a month, 
I connect with at least four of them regularly. We have challenges for each other. We hold each other accountable. We laugh. We have fun. We check in on how our families are doing. And so it's not all work. It's both personal and professional, which again, I think leaders in the corporate setting need to replicate. Every interaction can't be just be work. It needs to be personal and professional because we are whole people. And when you shut off that personal part of my life, then it really stifles the level of depth in our relationship that we can get to. And so that has been really interesting for me because not only have I been building my tribe, not only have I been accelerating my ability to do things in my business by learning from these women, um, I have been able to really kind of toy around with this idea that we can build tribes with ease. And the other thing that I would just mention really quickly is many women and, and in my research, one of the things that we struggle with is time. Well, all I'm investing is like 45 minutes to an hour, you know, once a month. And I am reaping the benefits of that one hour you know, tenfold. So um, I would say if time is a factor, maybe just switch that off a little bit and say, I'm going to carve out, even if it's 20 minutes or 30 minutes, I'm going to do the work to start start building the tribe. The other thing that I did was I created um, kind of an event called Assemble the Tribe for Tea. And it was based on the idea that, you know, some, some of my friends, moms, single folks, we were stuck at home, we were really struggling with COVID. And there were things that we needed to talk about where we needed support. And so I created this event which was very much about talking and having conversations, which I know is something that's important to you too, um, Pierre. And I don't know, 15 sessions and maybe over 400, I think we're getting close to 500 women coming monthly to have these conversations. I feel that we can create virtual tribes and not any, we can create them they're, they're, they're a necessity. One of the foundations of my book is that we need our tribes more than ever to live our healthiest, happiest lives. And if we don't have those relationships, we won't thrive in the way that we want to. And so I've, I've lived it, I've tested it, and it is possible. You, before we hit the record button on this podcast episode, you were telling me one of those one of those, yeah, this is why I do this stories about uh, a woman who had participated in Assemble the Tribe for Tea. I think the audience needs to hear uh, a, the snippet of that story and the value of, of what you're creating. Yeah, I think sometimes when we're creating these tribes and we're putting in the work to bring people together, if you're what I would call an activator and you're the one that wants to make it happen, sometimes you wonder, is it really worth it? What's the impact that this is having on, you know, the lives of the people around me? And someone stopped by my house and they said, hey, I was talking to a lady who regularly attends your teas and I just, I wanted to come in person to let you know that she told me, Prior to your tea event, she was feeling lonely and isolated. And as a result of your tea event, she feels like she has a place to plug in and belong. And so that for me was a powerful reminder that it does matter 
um, when we bring people together. And if we're willing to step into that activator role where we're the ones pulling the tribe together. And um, I don't know, it was a it was a beautiful moment for me. Can you talk a little bit about the synergy in that space as from a diversity perspective, you, you have women from all walks of life, all different relationship statuses, uh, educational attainments and experiences. What, what was it like, not just sort of pulling it together, but also sitting in it and experiencing it? This just amazing tapestry of women who, who assemble monthly in, in this space. What, what's, what has that experience been like for you? For me, it's it's very rewarding. It's humbling. It's exciting. I, you know, one of the things that's really important to me in my work, whether it's the conferences that I I produce and even this tea event, is that cross generational, um, diverse group of women mixing together. And so I'm always looking for op- opportunities for us to learn from each other. And so that is, I think, been one of the really beautiful things about the experience. You know, we had some uncomfortable conversations about things like race. We've talked about hormones across the generations, you know, just things that people are dealing with every day and the maybe the impact of COVID on these everyday issues. And so I think the thing that's been most beautiful for me is A, to see the folks come time and time again because it's filling a need that they have, but yeah. also being able to learn from uh, people from different walks of life and, and diverse backgrounds. You know, I, I do have a large contingent from Bermuda, but we have people popping in from all over the world, which is always exciting. I want to ask you to, to give a, a piece of advice as we're coming down to the end of our conversation. It, you, you have a, a young woman right now She's at the beginning of her career, recently graduated and stepping into her new job. Or you have a young woman who has recently been promoted and she has that that first notable leadership position where she feels or is beginning to feel or anticipate the weight of that role. In the context and message of Assemble the Tribe, what do you say to a person like that as some perspective on how to really be successful and what she's about to undertake. Hmm. There's so many things that I could say. So uh, this is, I'll summarize like this Mm -hmm. as a leader, there is a very complex leadership landscape that you have to navigate. There's yourself. There's a tribe of people or the team that you're responsible for leading. And then there's the organization and then sitting around those kind of three core stakeholders are beliefs and politics and external environments and just the the day-to-day issues that we all navigate, different um, views of interests and agendas. It your your life as a leader will always be complex. Your list will never end. The issues will often collide with each other. And it will be a challenge. Just when you think you've gotten it all under control, something may happen or something will likely happen that will unravel it all. So be prepared for the complexity of your leadership journey and then get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yeah. You know, I I wrote, I like to write quotes and, and a few weeks ago I wrote this quote that says, 
failure and discomfort are simply necessary steps that lead us closer to who we are destined to become. So my two bits of advice for the new women, woman leader is it will be hard. It will be complex. Shift your mindset and just expect that that's the landscape that you have to walk in and then be okay with failure. When you're failing, you're growing. When you're failing, you are learning. When you are failing, you are demonstrating to your team and the people around you that it's okay to take risk. And the great thing is, is that the more you fail, the better that you're going to become and and really um, unlock your true destiny as a leader. So those are, those are just two bits of advice that I'd like to share. Powerful. Uh- very powerful, so powerful that we have to set up the shameless plug at the <laughs> end of our conversation to 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 really give people the the insight on how they can have more access to you and what you're doing. You can't just drop a quote on the Leading Well Green podcast and just walk away without giving people an opportunity to connect further. So give us all the URLs, the plugs, the rollouts, the coupon codes. Where's the next party? How, how do we get better connected to you and what you're, you're doing? So the first place, place that your listeners can connect with me is on social media. So my, my two main channels, are, I'm everywhere, but my two main channels are Instagram and LinkedIn. My handle is at Leah J.M. Dean, L-E-A-H J.M. Dean, uh, all across. So I have Twitter, YouTube, Facebook. I have everything, but I would say come hang out with me on Instagram and LinkedIn as I'm most active on those channels. And then for those folks who are interested in the book, Assemble the Tribe, you can visit the book website, which is www.assemblethetribe.com. And I'm so excited to say that I'm in the process of launching the Tribe Advantage, which is a leadership accelerator for women leaders. It's part course, part masterclass, part part coaching, full immersion, because I believe that when we build a tribe, when we um, create opportunities to learn and grow as leaders while building a supportive tribe around us, that is when we can accelerate our potential. And so I'm looking to assemble women from all over the world who want to take their leadership to the next level. And so I'm excited about that. So you can actually go and check that out at thetribeadvantage.com, thetribeadvantage.com. So that's what, that is what is new in the world of Leah J.M. Dean. We'll put all of those links in the show notes so that everyone who is listening, you really have no excuse. You're really just one click away. Click on the links, get connected, learn more about Leah and her work and and get on the, the journey. Experience that journey of transformation of assembling your own tribe and being a part of so many others. Leah, wonderful conversation as usual. Grateful to to hop into your schedule and be able to chat for the second time. I'll put the link to that Courageous Conversations live episode in the show notes as well so they can check that out. But thanks so much for for hopping on and for being my guest today. Thank you. It is always a pleasure to be here. And who knows? I I hope I can come back again. These, These are always great conversations. Absolutely. Great conversation with Leah Dean about her book, Assemble the Tribe and her journey and her willingness to empower women and girls to begin their own journey 
of assembling their own tribe. We put all the links in the show notes. I want you to get the copy of the book, Assemble the Tribe, and join Leah's six-month intensive, The Tribe Advantage, helping women leaders unlock the formula, lead with confidence, and deliver exceptional results. We'll put links to that in the show notes as well. Hey, that's all I got for this episode of the Leading While Green podcast. You know it's my mission to help you live, learn, and lead with confidence. So until next time, take care and God bless.